Welcome everyone to the Energy One Podcast, the show that takes you inside the dynamic world of energy. Join us as you explore the latest trends, technologies, and innovations shaping the industry today. We're here to uncover the stories that drive progress and sustainability in this critical field. I'm your host, Marion Suzuki, and this is the Energy One Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by E7 Investments. Are you looking for the perfect industrial space in Dallas? Discover your ideal location with E7 Investments, prime properties tailored for your business needs. Contact us today at e7inv.com and take your business to the next level. Welcome back to the Energy One Podcast. In this episode, we are venturing into the world of carbon capture and nitrilation with Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO and co-founder of Mars Materials. Together with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, Aaron is commercializing a groundbreaking technology that transforms captured CO2 into acrylonitrile, the main building block in carbon fiber, which is used in hundreds of different products and industries. Not only is this technology much cleaner than traditional production routes, Mars Materials wants to create a future where carbon pollution is more expensive than employing clean technologies. Aaron's work also extends beyond entrepreneurship as he dedicates time to mentor underrepresented groups helping them succeed in the world of business. So stick around for today's episode, and let's hear from the man himself. Hey there, Aaron. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Really nice to meet you, Marion. Excited to have you on today. So let's get right into it, shall we? Sure. Excited to be here. So Aaron, could you start us off by telling us your story? How did it all begin, and what led you to create Mars Materials? Yeah. So I'm Aaron Fitzgerald. For those who don't know, I am a three-time founder and current CEO and co-founder of Mars Materials. I'm also a current Breakthrough Energy Innovator Fellow. And at Mars, we're working to store captured CO2 into long-lived products, everyday products that we all know and love from carpets to keyboard keys and Lego blocks to carbon fibers. Our goal is to turn all of these products into permanent carbon sinks. And I personally got involved in climate after witnessing the devastating aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and how it impacted a lot of people who look like me and have similar backgrounds. So for a while, for a good time, I did what I could to take my own small personal steps to be a better steward towards the environment. And that fast forward for about a decade of doing like my own self-practice took this life-changing trip to Lake Tahoe in California. And it was during that time where I read an article that really highlighted how I, as a climate-concerned person, could do more. And pretty shortly after, I looked for opportunities to help me scale my impact beyond just my own small personal steps. That eventually led to founding Mars, or Mars Materials, we call it Mars for short which today is solely focused on industrial decarbonization and greenhouse gas utilization. Right, that's great. And what do the folks at Mars do? What is the core technology that you guys are employing? Yeah, so we make a carbon negative acrylonitrile, or AN. You can say that 10 times fast if you're interested. Uh, but AN is this monomer that's used as a pretty prominent chemical feedstock. It's used in everyday long-lived doorbell products, like I mentioned, keyboard keys, vacuum parts, carpets. But really important to Mars are wastewater treatment chemicals and carbon fiber. It's estimated that every person on the planet, that's you, that's me, we all consume about a kilogram of acrylonitrile per year. And we're specifically interested in acrylonitrile because our need to achieve net zero emissions by 2050 we see acrylonitrile as being a compound that can help 
to achieve these goals, specifically enabling new markets for carbon fiber as a replacement for steel and growingly our beachhead market, this material called acrylamide, which is used for wastewater treatment chemicals, paper pulp manufacturing, and hygiene goods. How does this production method differ from those that are being commonly used today? What benefits are there? Yeah, so many benefits and we're a completely different process. So I like to say that we sit at the nexus of carbon dioxide removal and industrial decarbonization. And that's because our core technology called nitrilation enables us to utilize captured CO2, either from point sources or from the atmosphere. And really in short, that is the key difference between our pathway and the incumbent route. We don't leverage fossil fuels. But really digging deeper into this for your audience, there are several technological advantages to our acrylonitrile production pathway. Notably, we have fewer emissions. So if you think about it on a per pathway basis, our pathway saves over five and a half kilotons of CO2 equivalent compared to the incumbent route. So the incumbent route, something called propylene oxidation, takes crude oil, converts that into propylene, and then through an oxidation reaction, which includes propylene, ammonia, oxygen over air, and a catalyst, you get acrylonitrile. This is a hugely emissions intensive process. We're talking about 3.71 kilograms of CO2 equivalent per kilogram of acrylonitrile produced. So if you're doing the math, that five and a half kilograms of CO2 fewer or saved, that means that we are able to sequester nearly 1.85 kilograms of CO2 equivalent per kilogram of acrylonitrile produced. Uh, so there's that one benefit. In addition, we are also able to source our inputs like captured CO2 more locally. So if you think about the benefit to this on the supply chain, it's enabling more of a localized supply chain versus being so globally distributed as is with the traditional petrochemical industry. And then finally, we have limited and less hazardous impurities, which allows us to think about more flexible siting opportunities for our plants. So we can build in places where it is just very difficult for the traditional technologies to build today. And all this enables us to grow a the lower carbon acrylonitrile market, which is pretty nascent today in the kind of single kilotons per year of demand, but is expected to grow to 100 kilotons per year by the time we enter the market in 2029. So having a process that is so much cleaner is already a huge benefit. But for us to understand the real impact of this, we have to know that this is a process that is capturing carbon into a product that is a precursor to many, many other products. So Aaron, could you please elaborate on this for our listeners? Help us understand why you adopted nitrilation as the basis of your work. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned that nitrilation enables us to make acrylonitrile. So nitrilation is a really interesting technology for all of the key advantages against propylene oxidation, as I mentioned. But taking a step back and really thinking about the market application for nitrilation and the acrylonitrile that we make, acrylonitrile is a $14 billion chemical market. And as you've alluded to, Marianne, it has so many applications. It's kind of unbelievable and overwhelming, but we focus on strategic decarbonization applications. So what I mean by that is, for example, our initial beachhead is a market called acrylamide. It's about one and a half billion dollars anticipated to double over the next seven years or so. Acrylonitrile is the sole raw material for acrylamide. You take acrylonitrile, you bioconvert it into acrylamide, and then that is further processed 
into various downstream products. Acrylamide is used to help purify our drinking water. And so that means today, a lot of our water purification is actually being purified with fossil fuels. It's used to make paper products like corrugated cardboard and drinking cups. And it's also used for hygiene goods. And another area where acrylonitrile is the sole raw material is in polyacrylonitrile-based carbon fiber. Now, getting back to that strategic decarbonization applications, with carbon fiber, we just see huge potential here, where our technology can enable carbon fibers use as a replacement for emissions-intensive steel in applications like lightweighting for vehicles, transmission lines, hydrogen storage tanks, and building parts. In the case of lightweighting for vehicles, we anticipate adding carbon fiber to vehicles will help to improve fuel efficiency, or even in the case of battery electric vehicles, can reduce the weight of the car so you can minimize the size of batteries, and that allows us to reduce the demand on precious metals, all to lead to that goal that I just kind of articulated of strategic decarbonization. In terms of vehicles for lightweighting, that also gets us to what qualified us for the Breakthrough Energy Fellows Program, which is gigaton scale emissions reductions impact. And that's all by enabling new markets for this particular chemical acrylonitrile. Thank you so much for the explanation. That is really an incredible amount of potential that we have for this. That clears up a lot of questions. I'm glad. I'd like for you to share with us, what are some of the biggest challenges that you and your company have faced so far? And how did you overcome them? Really great question. You know, I would say anyone in climate knows that this is hard work. No doubt about it. And there are definitely a lot of challenges that we have to overcome daily. I think oftentimes we have a lot of the same challenges as any other startup, you know, needing cash, needing to grow our team, needing to kind of build infrastructure where there isn't any to move forward while we're also trying to move forward. But where I think a lot of where we're unique is really in our timeline to positive cumulative cash flow. So it's anticipated that we will be a very profitable company, but in several years from now, right? By 2029. So as you can imagine, that's very challenging to manage with investors. Investors who have recently, because of interest rate swings, begun to prioritize more short-term returns over the systematic change that we need to actually solve climate change. So to overcome this, what we've done is we've made the choice to diversify our capital stack. So our capital stack means the amount of cash that we need to bring into the company to get us to that positive curative cash flow bit. And we look at VC or venture capital as a small part of our total capitalization plans to get to market. So things that we do outside of VC, we love grants. We love prize monies, for example. The best example of this, again, is our Fellowship of Breakthrough Energy Fellows. And if you're not familiar with Breakthrough, for those of you all listening, Breakthrough is Bill Gates's climate arm. The Fellows Program is a program that recognizes that to reach our net zero goals by 2050, we just need these huge investments in technologies and we need the patience to scale them up. So a lot of these processes, particularly as we're scaling them up to drive these costs down and reduce some of those green premiums. So Breakthrough for us, part of the Cohort 2 Fellows Program, was really focused on addressing a lot of these critical gaps in specific technology areas. So carbon capture utilization storage, which is what we fall under, cement, electrofuels, and other categories. 
And then the program recently introduced their cohort three fellows. And I think they're recruiting for cohort four now. So currently, the biggest focus of Mars is producing acrylonitrile from the nitrilation process, right? Yes. Do you hope to one day expand this to produce other precursors as well? I don't see why we wouldn't if we can successfully prove out our innovation framework for nitrilation. Right. And what drives your decision for that? Yeah. No, that's a good question. We got a long way to go. <laughs> and I would say that our innovation framework really involves us putting smart chemical engineers and clean tech commercialization experts on massive multi-year stage-gated technology development and commercialization plans to execute. So for now, all of those resources are really focused on scaling up nitrilation and producing carbon negative acrylonitrile for all the benefits that, you know, I've just kind of articulated and why we think it just will be transformative. But I do see there will be potential and plenty of opportunity in acrylonitrile. And if we're able to, you know, similarly apply the same framework and structure that we've created to advance and scale up nitrilation, I could see in our future targeting other molecules. But for now, we're extremely focused people, and that would be an unnecessary distraction. Very understandable. It's one thing at a time, right? I mean, and when you're building these businesses, I mean, there's that one thing, but there's like a million things that go into it. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's very much true. And how do you envision the impact that nitrilation and your company will have in the industry? Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about the petrochemical space, right? A space that is responsible for a lot of emissions but doesn't necessarily have the roadmap or the plans to actually meet the goals. And that's because I don't think we, as people, often take a step back to really consider what our materials are made of. So in terms of how we're impacting the market today, we've received letters of support from about 55% of our $1.5 billion acrylamide industry. And I think our prospective customers would tell you that they just have these ambitious decarbonization goals that are driven one part by regulations. Others are self-imposed by sustainability targets because it's what is needed to do. And our technology can really help these companies reach their goals and grow into new markets. So we have that benefit of being one that can be focused on sustainability and sustainability and the chemical space isn't just the traditional environmental sustainability, but it's also that business continuity piece. And what are the next steps for Mars Materials? Are there any upcoming projects or partnerships that you're excited about? Yeah, I'm excited every day because it's such a joy to be able to represent my team, our growing team, with the work that we're doing. Specifically, we're all centered around finalizing fabrication of our pilot plant. So our plant is going to be capable of producing a little less than a kilogram a day of acrylonitrile. And this work is fully funded by our grant with Breakthrough Energy Fellows Program. And I mentioned our innovation framework, and it enables us to run several phases concurrently. So we're also excited to soon begin our demonstration plant siting activities in the new year. So we've done some of this prep work in our participation with Black & Veatch's Ignite X program. If you're not familiar with Black & Veatch or Ignite X, Black & Veatch is a global EPC contractor. Effectively, you work with these EPCs when you're ready to build huge plans. So they've been able to give us some of the foundational tools that we need 
to begin a successful siting project in the new year. And then finally, we're raising a seed round. So that seed round is meant to enable us to invest in our supply chain and redundancy efforts in that supply chain and will enable us to produce kilogram samples of our material using our pilot plant to complete supplier validation in our Kulamai beachhead market. Sounds exciting. Pilot plant just starting to get off the ground. Yeah, all the still is in the ground. The reactors are welded. Now we're mounting over these next few weeks and soon we'll be starting it up in the early new year. So it feels like a long road, but at least personally, having moved from software and then into remote sensing and aerospace and now into chemical processing, being able to physically touch it and see it, it's just like, it's eye-opening and just inspiring. I have my background in chemical engineering, so I know that it's uh, like a warm feeling that you feel inside when you finally see the plant starting to get put together. It's really great. Yeah. So, Aaron, we are nearing the end of our episode, so let's step away from the industry a little bit and discuss some more personal and casual topics, shall we? Sure, of course. What exactly does it mean to be a public benefit corporation? How does it change your approach and your work at Mars Materials? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one that I get a lot. You'd actually be surprised I get it from fewer investors than I do just from folks who are kind of interested in exploring why a PBC or public benefit corporation. So what I can say here is like as a public benefit corporation, Mars can make as much money as any other company. Our only difference is it's really driving our value creation. So our charter as a public benefit corporation has a singularly focused on commercializing technologies that remove and sequester greenhouse gases. So I like to think of the, that charter as guardrails that really helps keep us focused and committed to doing the hard work, which is carbon dioxide removal and industrial decarbonization. And if you think about it, just from a market perspective, the carbon market is anticipated to be a trillion dollar market, right? So I believe, and I think my team believes as well, that there will be just plenty of opportunity for us to do financially well and good for the planet within that scope of our charter. Right. And still on the same topic, what is the legacy and the future that you hope to leave for generations to come? Yeah. <laughs> legacy. That's such a exciting question. I also think it's, a, I'm such a direct person. I'm probably, I feel like I rarely think about this, but I can answer it through our vision. So our vision is to reverse industrial waste carbon emissions. So if you really think about that, we're just talking about undoing nearly two centuries of carbon pollution, which seems overwhelming. And that's definitely more work than what me and my current team can complete in any one lifetime or multiple lifetimes. So I think if we're successful, Mars Materials will outlive me and the team that is building it today. And I hope that's the case. And if it is the case, I hope that one day this company can employ people from all over the world. And I think that will be such a huge milestone. We call our team members planeteers, and we want a planeteer from every country. And that's because the climate impacts every person, right? And I truly believe that in order for us to have the buy-in and the results that we need, we absolutely need to build our climate companies for every person. So with that, I just tell folks that Mars welcomes all, and we mean it. I want the hungry new college grad. I want the single mom. I want the grandparent. And with all the other permutations that people bring about in between and around. 
hopefully this is a legacy that people will be able to see on their thermometers every day, just several hundred years from now, right? That's the goal. Now for our closing questions as we near the end of our episode. We always ask our guests for recommendations and try ending the episode with something special. So, Aaron, do you have any books, movies, or shows that you would like to recommend to our listeners today? Yeah, so let's see. Books, movie, or shows. So I think in the last response, I, you know, I really focus on people and how we want to build a big tent for folks at Mars. Me personally, I think about what drives me and wanting to focus my life on climate solutions. And I'm always cognizant of when we talk about climate change, sometimes we forget to talk about how the climate is not just impacting humans, but also how animals and their habitats are being destroyed. And I personally have a dog and I think about other animals and we have some frogs in our yard. And it really pains me to know from some of the papers that have come out that nearly 50% of animals are anticipated to go extinct over the next 20, 30 years due to climate change. I think that is just incomprehensible. They've done nothing to contribute to this, yet they're paying the ultimate price. So with that, I think a must read for anyone is perhaps going to butcher his name. It's uh, Franz de Waal. Are we smart enough to know how smart animals are? It came out in about 2016. And I really hope that for anyone who does pick it up, that it changes your relationship with how you think about animals and our other planetary cohabitants. All right. Thank you for the suggestion. Lastly, getting a little bit philosophical. Eric, imagine we have a listener who is inspired by your journey and wants to follow in your steps, but they're facing financial or social hurdles and adversity. What advice or encouragement would you offer to help them overcome these challenges and reach their goals? Yeah, that's such a powerful question and thank you for asking it. I'm not sure I'm the most motivational person, but I have been through a lot in my life. And I think the person that you outlined in this theoretical example is me. I've been there. I've come from poverty. Poverty led me to attending 17 different grade schools in college and really just to my great dismay, I was weeded out of STEM. And as a black queer man, like every day I have to overcome a higher trust barrier just to prove that I belong, that I have standing. And these struggles, despite the successes that we've had, have not gone away. But what I have done is I've gotten better at finding my tribe. So I would tell someone, don't let naysayers stop you, you know. And if you're with me, I would say, then great. And let's let's get to work. You know, let's move forward. And if you're not, just get out of my way. Right. Like I'm a person on this planet. So are you. And there is no one that can tell me, there's no one that can tell you that you can't be part of the solution to stop and to help mitigate climate change. Full stop. Up forward, Aaron. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. So we covered a good bit of ground today, but if someone still has a burning question, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I encourage you all to go to our website, MarsMaterials.tech. Now that's T-E-C-H. It has updates on our progress. If you're interested in coming to work for us, open job roles, along with some of the media sources that have been covering us, and we'll also include this podcast interview. And then we're also on some of the social media channels. So X and LinkedIn, and those handles are Mars Materials. Great. Perfect. As always, we will have all the links, books, contacts, and other information in our show notes. And with that, I think we are good to end our episode here. So once again, Aaron, thank you for sharing your world with us today, and we have a lot to look forward to. 
Thank you for having me, Marion. And thanks for exposing us to your audience. Really appreciate it. Of course. And finally, thank you to our listeners for sticking along for the ride. I'll see you all next episode. Until then. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Energy One Podcast. Stay connected and join the conversation. Reach out to us at info at energyonepodcast.com. Join us next time as we keep exploring this industry and the brilliant minds that make it all possible. 